Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons. Callum, Robert, Matthew, Tavernot, Jay, Paul, Mosey, Carol, Benjamin, Fernando, Justin, Matt, and RPG Match. Thanks a ton for supporting the show and making this all possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my link tree or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number two, DM. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information about their great work. And finally, before we get started today, I just want to thank all of you who've been helping support my first Kickstarter to Hot One Shot. It's been going super well, and as of recording this, we've gotten to 117% of our funding goal, which is amazing, and we're closing in on our first stretch goal. So our goal was $1,000, our first stretch goal is $1,750, and that's going to go toward a bunch of cool custom art that will go into the adventure itself of some of the monsters and some of the cool locations that Matthew and I dreamed up as we were writing this adventure. So if you would please, if you haven't already, please go check that out, it's in my link tree, or you can go to Kickstarter and search Too Hot One Shot. Alright, thanks for humoring me, and now let's get on to this episode's guest intro. This week, I'm chatting with Shelly Mazanoble and Greg Tito, the hosts for Dragon Talk, the official D&D podcast by Wizards of the Coast. Shelly and Greg have been making Dragon Talk for more than eight years together and have met so many interesting and amazing personalities through the show. Their new book, Welcome to Dragon Talk, is available for purchase and is a great buy for your D&D-loving family members and friends for the holidays or for yourself. Enjoy! By day, I am Senior Brand Manager for Dungeons & Dragons, as I am gainfully employed by Wizards of the Coast. And uh, that is where my D&D origin story begins. As I started working on the D&D team, it became very evident that I didn't play Dungeons & Dragons (laughs) by my boss. And who was like, you know what? Maybe you should learn the game if you think you're going to actually help market the game. At the time, to be fair, I was working on our novels, on the D&D novels, adult novels and children's books. I read them, so I do feel like, you know, I had my understanding of at least what I was marketing. But yeah. Yeah, you're doing your homework. Yeah, it would have been, you know, helpful to actually learn the game, but I had I had avoided it for my first 7 years at Wizards of the Coast because I in all honesty, was a little bit scared of Dungeons & Dragons. It was not a game that I saw myself participating in. I just didn't think that it was for me. I say this all the time, but I'm not like a a real big fantasy fan in general in my life. I you know, love board games, card games, party games, that kind of thing. But in my mind, I thought Dungeons & Dragons was a multi-year commitment. I thought that there were several mandatory rules and rule books that you had to know by heart before you could play. I thought you had to be just like really smart and good at math and speaking with an accent and wearing a costume. And I'm like, "Mm, don't know if that's really my jam. 
And all the dice. What was with all the dice? They're all such weird shapes and colors. But they were always like left around in conference rooms. So I'm like, oh, those D&D people were in here. Sometimes there would be like weird scrawl written on the whiteboards. Like people didn't erase the maps from their games. And that's when I realized Chris Perkins has like this freaky, perfect handwriting. And so I would just look at these notes that were left behind and like these words that had so many consonants and apostrophes in them. Like, (laughs) what is this game? But I was forced to play. An invitation came from this nice gentleman on my team who was going to be the dungeon master. And there was about six of us. And most of us were actually new to the game, which I felt like helped me because we were all a little bit nervous and apprehensive. But I also remember this was 3.5 edition. I was trying to roll up a character. and I had no idea what I was doing. So the DM had to help me. All I knew was that I wanted to be an elf. That felt very fantasy to me. And I wanted to do magical things. And a sorcerer sounded cool. So I went with that. He did all the math. He did all the other stuff. And then by the time we were (laughs) done, he handed me a character sheet. And I can show you because we're on camera here. And this very mini right here, this is Astrid Bellagio, a beautiful uh, magic user with her long, flowy lavender robes and her flowy blonde hair. And by the time he handed this mini to me, I was already in love. I'm like, I don't know what happens in this game, but I love this character so much. And I love this fantasy version of me. And I'm so excited to play. And after our first game, it became very, very clear. A number of things. One, I was so wrong. Number two, why didn't anyone tell me about D&D sooner? Like when I was a child. Yes. Number three, this is just a game of storytelling, of imagination, of social interactions, of creativity, of bonding, of friendships. I became so close to that group of coworkers. It was supposed to be like a learn to play. And it ended up being a game that we kept going for three years, I think, which in an office is actually pretty impressive because that is yeah. actually where you work as well. But we kept it going and I'm still pretty good friends with those people to this day. And um, yeah, it was very enlightening to me. And I realized quickly that if I had all of these misconceptions Millions of people have all of these misconceptions. I worked for the friggin' publisher and I had all of these misconceptions. (laughs) And I became determined then and there that I must spread the word of this very powerful, very imaginative, very amazing game. And I wanted more people to play it, especially women, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. It warms my heart to hear that in the offices at Wizards of the Coast, people are playing games because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Other than like a couple of sessions of a Curse of Strahd game that just totally collapsed, my first like experience playing through and like finishing a story was with my coworkers in an office on oh. the whiteboard. So yeah, that's I don't know. It's it's fun to hear that you're it's doing it there building. too. Every, yeah, for everyone sure, should for play. Sure. Greg, how about you? I had a more direct but also circuitous way of getting into playing D anD. d I loved fantasy when I was a kid, ever since I saw The Hobbit, the Rankin-Bass animated version that my brother was showing me. He's an older brother, about eight years older, and he was really, really cool about reading the book and then being, when we were watching the movie, being like, oh, there's this part. Oh, there's this part. You know, I was in third grade, fourth grade at the time, so I was like, I'm going to read this book. It's going to be amazing. A little bit beyond my reading comprehension, but I stuck with it and totally dug that whole world. Of course, the maps 
and how the map was a storytelling device, but also shown in the opening pages felt in retrospect, it's very D&D like to me. And I didn't realize that at the time. And then I found on my older brother's shelf a couple years after that, after I was devouring as much fantasy material as I could, I found a copy of the Dungeon Master's Guide on my brother's shelf. I, I figured out now that it was a hand-me-down that we had gotten like a box of stuff from a neighbor because there was no way it could have been purchased and brought into my house <laughs> with my mother's watchful eye. Once she figured out what I was looking at and studying and being so obsessed with the idea of you know becoming a monk or a druid within that <laughs> world, she was kind of like, mm, I don't know, we can do this anymore. I have a very strong Catholic upbringing and uh, to this day, she still does not like that I have this job, but you know, either here nor there. And it took me a long time to try to find a group uh, together. And it wasn't until I was living on my own in New York, I had I'd gotten married and I was like, wait, I can do this. There's no puritanical uh, marm with a ruler to wrap my fingers anymore. I can <laughs> find my own way. So I was able to find a group and I delved into playing the Age of Worms campaign with a group of like-minded individuals on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, very similar to your current background, actually, right in that same neighborhood, honestly, uh, that your Seinfeld background is. And that was a really special group. We loved role-playing. We loved delving into shopping episodes and story, and we were using a published campaign, but the DM was really good at weaving in other lore that he knew from Greyhawk, as well as just his own way of weaving in backstory from our characters. It was really kind of formative experience. Many of the folks who were in that group have gone on to work on in TRPGs, which is kind of amazing. It was kismet almost now that we had met and, and started playing together when we did. Took some of the energy from that and became a game journalist. We started writing about video games, RPGs, as well as, of course, Dungeons and Dragons, trying to convince as many of my editors who were more digital game focused to be like, no, tabletop really is cool. And it is going to be this big thing that's going to blow up. And of course it did. Very excited about the growth of the D&D community since the publication of the uh, fifth edition of D&D. I was lucky enough to get a job working with Shelly. We had done a few panels together at PAX's, uh, PAX East, I think, with you, me, and Ethan Gilsdorf. was, I think, the first time we met face-to-face. -face. And I'd come up and met Shelly a couple of times when I was a journalist uh, doing stories around D&D. &D. And then I started working here in the office, and Shelly was nice enough to be like, hey, do you want to come be on this podcast? We're going to go record it. And I was like, sure, let's do it. And used a lot of my skills that I had had from the game journalist side of things and content creation. And, you know, through that, the two of us really forged what Dragon Talk became. And so that's why we're excited about talking about this new book, Welcome to Dragon Talk, and uh, going through all that focus. And our two origin stories are detailed in much more dramatic fashion in the opening chapters of that book. It's funny um, that all of us had different, I guess, the media influenced the way we heard about the game, or people around us had heard about the game and made it so that it was harder to get to play it. I remember in eighth grade, my teacher told us about like kids killing themselves because they got too into it, you know, and like that was the early 2000s. Wow. And oh so my God, really? Yeah, still, still like people telling, you know, spreading that kind of information around disinformation around. So, yeah, it's really interesting. But luckily, when I, you know, found the game, I was a lot older and more open minded. I don't think I, I like really thought one way or the other about my teacher telling me that, but you know, it's just interesting that it's still around, you know, people still, still think those things. So anyway, 
let's get into um, your experience running games for people. So uh, we'll start with Greg here. Um, was it the first game that you started playing with your friends that you were the one running, or did you decide you were going to dip your toes into DMing a little bit later on? I did not. I was a player to start, similar to Shelley. I didn't. I didn't know the game inside and out. I didn't know the lore of D&D worlds as well as other players in my DM did. So I was very happy just to be along for the ride. I honestly, it was a little bit of a quiet player to start mm-hmm. because I didn't want to say anything wrong or, or, you know, everyone else seemed so much more experts than I. So I, I kind of took on the characteristics as my character is being shy and, you know, a little bit not a leader in any way. And so over time, I started to be like, hey, no, I think I, I want to try DMing. I don't, I, and when a new edition was coming out in the late 2000s, that's where I was like, okay, well, now I can go. I can be on a level playing field with everyone else because everyone else is learning this new system at the same time. That was when I first jumped into dungeon mastering was around the playtest for fourth edition, actually, which was really exciting. And I got a lot more experience after that and running games at conventions with Gen Con when we were doing supplements for Goodman Games, we devised uh, convention play. And that was like a trial by fire because there was you're basically running the same module in the same way. I think we must have done like six or seven times over the course of the whole weekend. And so you wow. got really expert about like how to go off of people's cues and you can improvise off of it. And I think for me, that's when my DMing, my love of DMing really was cemented because I was able to interact with so many people who were just so excited to spend, like this was their holiday weekend was just at Gen Con playing games all weekend and being a part of that and giving folks the uh, the fun uh, during that time. So I love Dungeon Mastering. It feels a little bit like my proclivities towards performance and wanting to always be active. Sometimes when I'm a player, I I think it's actually my ADD a little bit. Like I tune out mm. or I have to be doing something else in addition to listening to everything in the game. I'm not an artist, so I don't, I can't be the dude like many uh, amazing people who doodle and listen that fulfills that for them. I'm not that way. So I think I like DMing because I feel like I have to be both listening and also thinking about what the next encounter or what the next thing is and always improvising. So I really love that, but they can be very exhausting for me for that reason. It can be a lot of feeling like you're on for however long the session runs, two hours, three hours, sometimes four or five hours. And that can just be mentally, mentally draining. So I've actually been a little bit on on a hiatus from running uh, games, but I'm recharging my batteries and I'm getting ready to get back into it and actually having the weekly mini sessions that Shelly and I do at the end of each Dragon Talk episodes with Drunky Tissues has been really fun to just to be like, look, you don't need to have this super detailed four hours of concentrated thing you can just uh kind of improvise you know five ten minutes and still get like a really fun satisfying story with a beginning a middle and an end over a long period of time so that's been really fun yeah it's been fun to listen to as well i have a similar experience running games versus playing i feel like i get distracted more as a player but as a dm at the end of the session i always have my post-session headache Like I feel Mm. elated because it's been so much fun, but I also always have a headache just because my brain is going so fast the whole time. So totally, it it is what it is. You know, (laughs) I don't know. I I guess I'm just used to it. I just go to sleep and it's fine. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Shelly, I know you have a little bit of experience running games as well. So I'd love to hear about how you got the courage to try to do it and uh, how it's been going for you. A little itty bitty experience. I actually remember I never mentioned this one because the really bad one, which I know we'll get to, is the one that pops into my mind first. But many, many, many moons ago, I was writing a book called Confessions of a Part-Time Sorceress, which was spawned by my first time playing Dungeons and Dragons and realizing more people need to play this game. And I really wanted it to be towards women. 
and women like me that didn't see themselves as typical fantasy fans. So I gathered up a group of my female friends that also did not see themselves as fantasy fans, and I made them play D&D with me one night. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had a starter set and like no real general concept of the rules. It went off the rails really fast, but it was fun to write about. So that was my first real attempt. My second attempt was also for women, but they were co-workers that also were starting to work on D&D and didn't know how to play. So they wanted to learn and I taught them. And because again, these were women that were more like pop culture, mainstream, more likely reading People magazine than the Player's Handbook. I <laughs> crafted a adventure in which the Kardashians were the villains. And I'm talking about the Kardashians, the reality TV show family, not these characters from Star Trek, which some people thought I was doing. Oh, and they were like, Kardashians. yes, yeah. when I first mentioned this and people accidentally thought I was cool. They were like, oh, well, I didn't know like you actually had that like that cool Star Trek. I don't know if anyone's ever accused Star Trek fans of being cool, but in uh, our office, it's definitely gets you cool point. Like they were like, oh, she is one of us. And I was like, the what? No, come on. Totally disappointed them. But anyway. And Greg, I'm not making fun of you. I like Star Trek as well, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you I, see I, that internal monologue in my head? No, I, just, like, I just wanted to make sure like, cool. that, that you know we're on the same page here. Star Trek fans <laughs> are just as cool as D&D fans. Yeah, uh, they are. Anyway. <laughs> the third time was a really bad time, so we'll get to that. And then I stopped. I was like, it was awful. I'll never do this again. I'm just a player. And I just have the utmost respect for DMs and I'll never, ever, 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 ever do it again. And then I was asked by two nine-year-old girls to be taught how to play D&D. And I, like a single tear rolled down my cheek and I was like, <laughs> I will do it. Calling. I'll do yeah. it. So I went back behind the screen and oh my God, I had the best time because all of the stuff I had learned over like the decade that I went and retired, I put into practice. And all the things I learned from our Dragon Talk guests and all the things that I've learned from mm-hmm. like you, Derek, who you've graciously lent your time to being a guest on how to DM as opposed to how not to DM. I put it all into practice and I just didn't do all the things that really tripped me up last time. And I never realized how great it would be to play D&D with kids, how inspiring that was, like just as a human, just to watch their mm-hmm. little brains just crack wide open. And these were two very shy girls. Like I had known them for five years before they would even make eye contact with me. They're friends with my son. They're in the same class. Their mother is one of my best friends. I know them very well, but they're very, very, very shy. And one of them wanted to be a bard. The other one wanted to be a rogue, I think. And they immediately just embodied every part of their characters. They were standing up. They were like imitating what it looked like to cast a spell. They were coming up with really funny plans. Quinn, my son, also played with us. And even he afterwards, he was like, I cannot believe how much they talked. I've never heard them (laughs) talk that much ever. And they went home. Their mom said they were just buzzing with excitement about how great this experience was for them. So I have continued. I've DM'd for them a couple other times. And even their little brother came and joined us. And he also had a great time. So now... I am going to be starting a D&D club at their school. That's so fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know that it's fun yet. It hasn't happened. I am very <laughs> excited and optimistic, but I'm also very, very terrified. But there'll be fourth and fifth graders only. And I'm just 
like the idea of bringing Dungeons and Dragons to kids is just, that's all the juice I need. I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. Nice. I love that uh, Chris Perkins is the DM to the stars, but you are the DM to the kids. I am the DM to the kids. And actually, because the, the next generation, Chris Perkins yeah. lives in our neighborhood. And I said, I'm like, just so you know, there's going to be a D&D club starting up about a mile and a half from your house. So if you ever want to be a guest, Come star, say hi. he's like, yeah. interesting. Hmm. Not going to hmm. commit to that, but I'm not going to say no. So. No, oh, that's nice. yeah. oh, some kids are not going to know how great they're having it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking, too. I'm like, they're not even going to know They're not even going to appreciate it, so great. it. That'll be the novelty, though. I'm sure yeah. he doesn't imagine? get to go play D&D with groups very often who don't know who he is, right? But I mean, yeah. even so. just to talk to somebody who works, like who's a game designer, like I make up stories for a living and so can you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I've had a few guests on and I'm sure you have, too, who run games for kids like specifically that's what they do one of mine was beth the bard a while ago and she says it's way harder than running for adults in some ways mm, so ugh, guess what shelly you're hear doing that. stuff that's even harder <laughs> no no i'm saying like the fact that you have run games for kids means that you are a good dm and you can handle a know. lot of weird random chaos this was like that kids three bring. sometimes four kids the girls were great my son he was kind of annoying <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's no one to blame but yourself there though. I right? know. But I get it. He's very used to like Fortnite and like action, 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 action. I'm doing something all the time. And D D is like talky, talky, explore. Let's do that. Like the girls just wanted to talk to everybody and they were like, mm -hmm. what's down this path? And instead of, you know, freaking out and be like, I don't know what's down there. I didn't plan it. I was just like, I don't know. Let's go see what's down that path. And he was like, Really? Can we just like beat up a plant or something like why are we just talking <laughs> beat up a plant <laughs> but i had learned from all of the dungeon masters that have walked before me you are going to have different player types right at the table so mm -hmm. you have to kind of figure out what's going to keep everybody entertained so whereas the girls wanted to explore and they were totally fine talking to npcs and just taking their time getting to their destination and he was like i need some action I would just be like, oh, a goblin just jumped out of the bushes. And he said that he has free cookies and milk. Do you want to go? So he could just go off and do a side quest and they could continue on. He was perfectly happy. Of course he went. He's like, yeah, I'll take your cookies and milk. Let's go. And then the girls at some point, they were like, we're getting really sick of him just leaving. So can we just walk off without him? Can we just leave him in the woods? I'm like. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Not going to say I haven't had the same thought once in a while. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, okay. She has asked me to dress up as like a go goblin and offer cookies to Quinn while on a hike. And it's worked. Get in your white van. <laughs> oh, no. no. I mean, like I... we In the Pennywise costume. In a Pennywise. He will follow Pennywise anywhere. <laughs> oh, boy. You alluded to it earlier, Shelly. The difference between your segment, How to DM, and mine is one little word, How Not to DM. And so I'd really love to dive into a, an example or two from your past running games of lessons you learned while behind the screen, mess-ups that you made, that kind of thing that, that other people can learn from, empathize with, and uh, use to make themselves better. Don't over-prepare. There is absolutely no way of knowing what your players are going to do. And that's the fun of it. Embrace the fun of it. I did not embrace the fun of it. 
I mapped it out like I was writing a novel and like like I was the only participant. Of course, they're going to open this door. But when they decided to open that door, I didn't know what was there. So embrace the unexpected. Have a few things in your back pocket. Like just let them go off on their path. If they really aren't getting it, however, whatever you had planned to the left and they went to the right, just move it to the right. It's totally fine to do that. Like I forgot that it's my story too. Like I can just put something wherever I need to, or like they're not getting to the destination, put up a sign, like literal, put up a sign or bring an NPC out who all of a sudden is like, oh, are you trying to get to Neverwinter? <laughs> Whatever, just point them wherever you need to go. So don't worry about rules. You don't have to know them. It's fine. Just make them up on the fly. And also your players aren't actually out to get you. I was so convinced that like <laughs> this was an adversarial relationship or something. But they were going to be mad at me if I screwed it up, which I did, or they weren't going to help me or like I wasn't allowed to ask for help because I'm the dungeon master and I have to know everything. Not true. They actually want to play. They are grateful for having a dungeon master. And I'm sure that your players would be happy to help look up an answer or tell you what you should roll if you're trying to do a DC or a saving throw or something. That stuff that always confuses me still. But for the most part, make it up. That's good advice. Yeah. What about you, Greg? Any big ones? Any small ones? I think for me, it's a medium-sized one, but it is <laughs> partly because I think Shelly and I are always excited about bringing in new players. So my most recent DMing experience has been from people who I met through my girls' soccer team and just some of the parents who showed a little bit of interest in D&D. One of them had played a long time ago when they were kids. One of them was a complete newbie, but very, very interested and we recruited a couple other people around along the way. And we just kind of started playing Waterdeep, Dragon Heist at the time. And we did not do a session zero. We did not kind of do like a level setting like, hey, this is this type of campaign. This is what to expect. This is what I want to get out of it. What do you guys want to get out of it? And making sure that meshes. And I didn't learn the lesson there. We played for like a year or so doing Waterdeep Dragon Heist. And I started to understand that some of the folks playing were like, I just want to go into, when are we just going to leave the city? And I was like, oh, well, that's not the campaign we're running. We're running a city campaign. Well, we're going to go into some dungeons and, you know, go gallivant and do some of the stuff that I remember from when we were kids playing D&D. &D. And I was like, okay, well, maybe we should just restart and we'll start up another campaign. And I came up with this whole other idea of basically doing just that. But I really wanted to bring in these this idea of like forging a new realm in a constant that was overrun by undead. I was like, okay, let's do that. We'll start up that campaign. And it started off really good. And then once we got to the point where I wanted to transition it into being much more of this stronghold-based type of game, they were like, well, wait a second. We don't really want to do that. We want to just keep doing the like Dungeons and Dragons thing. I was like, I did it twice in a row where I didn't level set what everybody wanted and get everyone on the same page of course, those things always shift and change too over the course of the campaign. But mm -hmm. I finally learned that lesson where I'm like, okay, if I'm going to start up another campaign, I want to make sure the players are on board with the story that I want to run and that I'm on board with the story that they want to run. And then, you know, realize that it's not necessarily 
proximity and meeting people through soccer games may not be the best criteria for forging a group together that wants to have <laughs> a long-term campaign. It's great for a one-shot or, you know, a mini campaign or a couple of sessions, which we which we did and we have a great time doing it. But if we do, which I've always wanted to do, which was to run like a long multi-year commitment campaign that Shelly was scared about early on, I've always wanted to kind of do that and world build together. And I'm starting to get the itch to want to try and start that again. And I will definitely have probably multiple session zeros. So like a 0.1 and a 0.2 and a 0.3 to really kind of make sure that we're everybody is on the same page. Because I think what's really cool about the D&D community right now is that there's different styles available for play. There is no one way to play D&D. And that was true of many of the earlier decades of D&D play. But I think it's even more distinct now because there's so many people who are into playing this game that like horror, that like space fantasy, that like more of the combat-oriented dungeon crawling bits and don't like the wilderness dungeon crawling bit, you know, all that stuff. So like, I think now there's so many more players available and so much people who are excited about new things that I would want to kind of level set and make sure we're having several sessions ahead of time, making sure that that all happens. And I think a lot of new DMs out there could learn from that. Agreed, 100%. It's something that we try to do whenever we're with my home group. It's like, all right, we're done with this story. Now what's everybody interested in trying? You know, and I did that with the first group I was running for. We played through Lost Mine of Fandelver, fantastic adventure. And then after I said, okay, I have some ideas, like maybe we do this or this or this. What sounds interesting? Everyone was like, pirates. Yes, we want to do pirates. And so we went off and we started sailing around, finding treasure and, you know, uh, fighting sea monsters and stuff. And, and they loved it. And so, yeah, I think it's about everybody having fun and about everybody making sure that it's stuff they're interested in and stuff they feel safe exploring etc cetera, etc cetera. and so i think it's important to set expectations with everybody that way like you said everybody's having fun it's a collaborative storytelling game right and you're all there to tell a story together so if everybody's having fun then, then you're really achieving your goal yeah yeah agreed I absolutely agree. number one rule. i want more of that and now a word from how not to dm's sponsors First off, let's start with Dispel Magic. What would happen if you really could talk to animals, teleport across the world, or make one wish that changes the very fabric of reality? From adamantine selling game designer and author of the Pugilist class, Benjamin Huffman, comes the podcast Dispel Magic. Imagine nobles running tabloids using the scrying spell or flying trains of Tensor's floating disc. Dispel Magic is the podcast where they overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign. Find them wherever you get your podcasts or go to dispelmagic.podbean.com. Next up is an ad clip from my friends at Ballad of the Seven Dice. This ad contains some mild language, so if you have young ears nearby, skip ahead a minute. This is a player from Carcosa Online. Please, you have to help. We are dying here. People are dying. What the hell is this game? We here at Ballad of the Seven Dice are sorry for that interruption. That was from a confused player from our new campaign, Escaping Carcosa, which can be found on the Ballad of the Seven Dice's podcast feed. Please let us out. They are eating us. They're eating us. The story follows two groups. 
One is a group of investigators trying to free the trapped players using Call of Cthulhu 7E. The other is a Pathfinder 2E group that is trapped inside Carcosa Online. You can also find a visual novel version of our show on our YouTube, and we also have live airings of our episodes every second Saturday at 4 p.m. CST. Tell my family I love them. Tell them I... We hope to see you there. And remember, Nostradamus Corporation cares. Sounds like a really fun concept. I can't wait to check that one out. Now we've got a word from Game Master Mondays. Game Master Mondays is a show that plays a new system and a new one-shot each week. And so if you're trying to learn new systems and you want to see how games are played and kind of see other systems showcased other than kind of the main big ones, this is a great place to start. So let's hear from Game Master Monday. Welcome to Game Master Monday. A new podcast where we play a different tabletop RPG in a different system, in a different setting, with a different cast every episode. I am Grant Nordine, your Game Master. From the biggest titles of the indiest of indie games, me and my cast of terrific role players bring you something new and exciting every time. Game Master Monday posts bi-weekly, Mondays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, and is available everywhere you enjoy podcasts. And finally, podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Are you a podcast or video content creator who wishes you spent more time creating the content you love and less time doing the boring editing that bogs you down? Check out podcasteditors.online or videoeditors.online to see all of their awesome rates and offerings for editing content. Buy a few hours of editing a la carte or buy their bulk plans if you have more content that you need created. Check out the links in the episode notes for more information about both podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. And now let's get back to the second half of the show, starting off with Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! On Quickfire Chaos, Shelly and Greg and I are going to roll on some random D100 tables from the internet to create a scenario to roleplay. Do you want to do city quest or fetch quest? What sounds more interesting? I like cities. Let's do cities. Alright, Shelly. First off is the D100 table for your voice description. 80? Never or barely closes their mouth. 72. A person of authority who subjects others to undue pressures. The third table is the job that you've got. 71. Trader. A-D-E. Oh, okay. Trader, like a a tradesperson. Okay, the last thing is, is what's happening around the city that you want us to look into. 95. The side quest here is that there is a hippie elf who's selling a dragon scale necklace in the market, and it has your name on it. So, Greg, what are you going to play? You can play anything. Just you know, think of a random I'll character off the top of your head. I'll be a half-elf ranger. Sweet. Urban bounty hunter. Ooh, okay. I'm going to be a druid who's kind of been 
dragged into this town, not really uh, excited about being in this concrete jungle or this brick and mortar jungle, I guess they would call it back in the day. It was coming along with you to, to kind of, I don't know, whatever we're doing. So I'll be a dragonborn druid. So Shelly, take it away. Yeah. Uh, you guys, you guys know each other. <laughs> we sure do. Hey, you looking for a job? Uh, huh. yeah, uh, uh, a job that we can get done as soon as possible. Well, that's going to be up to here. you. How fast you okay. can do it. Done. Okay. <laughs> if you can, okay, if you're yeah. good at your jobs, then you're going to do the job quickly. All right. All right. Yeah. What about you? You tell us, huh? You tell us who we need to find and we'll find them. There's a, uh, I need you to find Hippie elf. <laughs> I hate those hippie elves. Always stealing my mm. jewelry designs. He's out there in the marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, Do you have any other, I need you to no find other descriptions other than hippie? Probably wearing some tie-dye and probably barefoot. Okay. Tie-dye. Tie-dye. I'm unfamiliar, but uh, perhaps you, my companion you, knows. Yeah. Can you explain to this big dragon what tie-dye means? It means his clothing is, is uh, traditional elf garb, yes. dyed in I, such a way with starbursts and whatnot. It's very popular uh, in this part of not the city, especially very popular at all. It's during stupid. the 1570s, should arrest him for mm. that. Look at very like, well. I uh, need you guys to do this. Do you understand the importance of getting me this necklace back? What, what is this? Don't necklace? ask questions. Just <laughs> oh, right. I, I apologize. <laughs> I forget how the city folk interact with each other. Yes. This necklace. My, my, you know, my brother, he runs this town, and uh, you don't want me to have to call him. Okay? <laughs> is there a no. fee for this finding? Of course there is. Well, you can pick any <laughs> the jewelry here. <laughs> <laughs> and how much Do are they worth? Do you have any that aren't metal, perhaps, that, that I could pick from? Uh, uh, metal is my medium, so... Uh. <laughs> well, I, I guess my friend here can have double and, and sell the, the thing that I don't want. To. Anything anyway, from uh, the left of this part of the table, though. Not You can't uh, have this stuff. This is the good where stuff. Where it says five gold pieces or under. Yes, I, I see. <laughs> All right, green scales, let's go. All right, let's go. Bring me back that net necklace. Or else. We, we'll do it. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, every time it's different, you know, and that's the fun part about it. These D100 tables. I'm crying. <laughs> I you were like, I can't keep it in. I can't hold it in. You did a good job, all things considered, though. The whole keep your mouth open part, I, <laughs> I'm impressed. That hard to do. But that is really fun. I love the idea of rolling on those different tables. This actually worked yeah. out as a mm -hmm. trader at a marketplace, and there's some <laughs> hippie elf out there stealing my designs. Yeah. <laughs> totally believable, man. There have been some fun characters created. Uh, yeah, I did a compilation episode of last season's worth of them. If you want to go check it out. And anybody who's listening, if you haven't checked those out, go do it. I it's will. been a ton of fun. That's so great. Ugh. I love improv. Yep. 
and honestly, the best part of it is I get to play a little teeny piece of D and D with all the people <laughs> I I uh, really enjoy too. So yeah, that's a fun part of oh. it too. Cool. So you both have alluded to it already that yeah that you work for Wizards of the Coast in different capacities. So I'd love to know what your favorite part is about working there. And if you don't have a favorite or you're bad at favorites like me, then just think of a couple things off the top of your head you really enjoy. When I started working at Wizards of the Coast, there was just so many miniatures everywhere and artwork on the wall, as well as, you know, just walking down the hallway and seeing people that I have known as D&D creators and Magic the Gathering creators and just being like, oh, yeah, hey, oh, oh, yeah, we're co-workers, we're colleagues, right? We're all in the same building. It's kind of amazing. And my jaw was definitely on the floor for about two and a half years <laughs> scooped up a lot of grime from the <laughs> my least favorite part which was the carpets in the offices <laughs> Ooh. Of the coast. they've now been replaced but yeah so that was really just kind of amazing to be in an office environment that felt very not you know similar to other office environments i've been in with cubicles and and all the kind of you know break room kind of deals but then you know you just turn around you'd be like oh yeah there's a dragon and oh yeah there's someone who created a, a one of the board games that i've loved and played forever and ever and they're just happen to be also getting creamer for their coffee at the same time that i am right like that kind of rubbing elbows with people who i know and respect kind of on a daily basis was one of my favorite parts of working there shelly being one of them of we rubbed elbows mm. a lot we were just like constantly right? giving each other high elbow fives even before covid even before COVID. <laughs> Remember on your first, well, I guess it wasn't your first day, but it was when you came to Seattle to look for a house. Yes. And Bob was in the office too, Bob Salvatore. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's in the book too. It was this crazy oh, yeah. confluence of Bob many things Salvatore. where you call him I was, Bob. That's incredible. We call him Bob. He's Bob. We, well, and, yeah. I, and he gave me <laughs> for like, oh, you, what are you doing here? I'm like, I work here now. And he's like, what? You hired this? Joker, <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. Got to meet him and and his wife, and my wife was there too. So it was like this great way to be like, oh yeah, I know, I know Bob from my uh, game journalism days. That was fun. Love Surreal. it. What about you, Shelly? My favorite. Oh, this is tough because there's a lot to love actually, but there's two that come to mind. One is the people, like Greg said, we do work with some of the most talented, passionate people I think anywhere. The other thing is. D&D and just how important this game is to so many people and getting to talk to those people either every week on Dragon Talk or we would sometimes get letters like actual letters from people who just wanted to write to the Dungeons and Dragons team at Wizards of the Coast just to say how important this game is to them something that happened that they discovered while playing D&D or the escape that D&D has provided them. And just, can you imagine just being so compelled by like the toothpaste you use that you write a letter to Colgate and just be like, I just love what you do. They don't do that. Like I, I actually have friends that work for Colgate and I'm like, have you ever, oh. do you ever get letters like this? It's just, it's so important. Like it is very much entertainment. It is a game. It is fun to play, but it also really does impact people in such profound ways. And it's really special to be a part of that, of bringing it to more people. You know, it is a game, but it's bigger than a game in a lot of ways that are maybe hard to quantify, but sometimes easy to quantify as well. Uh, I guess I'm not surprised is what I'm trying to say, that it has impacted so many people in such a big way that they felt the need to do that. That's amazing. My company got a letter this year. My CEO got a letter and it was kind of like really out of the blue. It was, it was funny. I've been listening to the NPR uh, 
the greatest of car talk. They're like replaying episodes from 30 years ago as a podcast and they get letters all the time. And it's just kind of novel to me to think like, man, back in the day, that's what yep, people did is yep. they send each other letters. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just a funny thing there. You mentioned it at the beginning, Greg, you both have been working on this book called Welcome to Dragon Talk. So I'd love to know where the idea came from, how you both decided, yeah, we're going to write this and maybe what it's like to write a book with another person and then what it's about and, and you know when people can look forward to purchasing it. I will say that it is coming out on December 5th. That is the official publication date. But we are told if you pre-order it through the University of Iowa Press, where it's being published, or other fine booksellers, including your local bookshop, you may receive it early, up to a month early, perhaps. So look for it. Pre-order it now if you are interested. We're going to talk a lot more about some of the facets of it. But then I'll throw it to you, Shelly. Where did this come from? This came from an email that I received from an editor at University of Iowa Press. And she hmm. had read my previous books about D&D. She was a Dragon Talk listener. And she, uh, as an editor at the University of Iowa Press, was interested in expanding expanding more into like the fandom and pop culture realm. She's a D&D fan herself. So she said, would you be interested in writing a book about Dragon Talk? And about its origins or like what it's like to create a podcast and be a part of the D&D community. And I let that email sit in my inbox for about three weeks because I was like, that's not real. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> just kind of left her hanging. And then I think I actually probably Googled her just to see like, is she a real editor? What's happening here? I very much knew University of Iowa Press was a real publisher, but I still couldn't believe that editors were just emailing me. That doesn't really happen to me. So I did write her back and I said, yeah, actually, I think this does sound really good. And uh, I don't know, maybe I asked Greg first before I got back to her, but I'm pretty sure Greg was going to say yes. But it was like, do you want to write a book right. about Dragon Talk? <laughs> Let's do this. And she loved the idea of it coming from both of our perspectives. And Greg and I came up with a book proposal that where, sure, we would talk a little bit about how the podcast came to be and the behind the scenes part of that. But we really wanted the emphasis to be on the guests and on the D&D community and showing the breadth of people who are part of this community and the people who play it. And we just felt like we wanted to show a great representation of who a D&D player is, especially, you know, for people like me that thought all of those years that they weren't a D&D player or they wouldn't be welcome in this community. It was really important for us to show that D&D is for everyone and look at these amazing guests that have come on and shared their experiences and how like D is kind of the great equalizer for everybody. Like we can talk to people like Matthew Lillard and Dan Harmon, and we can talk to a gentleman in California who created a Girl Scout badge based on role-playing and, um, you know, just some of our most favorite people in the community. So it was, uh, thankfully she liked that idea too, because Greg and I were, were already <laughs> like really excited about writing that story that's what the book became i think we have we have 29 essays yeah from almost at the time we started writing it we probably hadn't hit 300 but we were probably close to 300 episodes at that time so it was a a lot of great content to choose from yeah yeah that's what we're going to get we hope readers will take away from this book excitement about what dnd has meant to so many people and and hopefully seeing a little bit of themselves in that part too Amazing. The University of Iowa Press is publishing it. Yep. 
I'll make sure to get the links from you both so I can throw them in the episode notes and everyone can go pre-order or, or yeah, you can get pre-order. their orders in, especially for the holiday season coming up. I'm sure you've got listeners, you've got friends and family who might be interested in the book as well. So uh, yeah, amazing. I'm really excited to read it myself. So as far as the show goes, you, you kind of covered this point, Shelly, about like the variety of guests you've had from Hollywood big shots to people who are just doing stuff in their local communities um, and everything in between. So what have been some of your favorite moments of the show? And then is there like a white whale guest out there <laughs> who you still have yet to uh, get on the show that you're hoping to someday? The first part of that question was memorable moments. Um, I think that the amount of times that we have heard from people of how this game changed the trajectory of their lives is always gratifying to me. And many of them are folks that we chose to write essays about because of how much they expressed and how much we could relate or were amazed at some of the ways in which People either creatively or personally were affected by this game. You know, some of the ones that come to mind were Andy Stevenson, who was the creator behind the She-Ra Princess of Power animated Mm. series and how they were working, working in animation, doing things on their own, doing comics and started playing D&D because they wanted to play with uh, a specific person who is now their partner, Molly Knox Ostertag. And then it became an inspiration for them working on the show, you know, to to ND working on the show and making it amazing. And and my personal connection with my daughter and at the time when she was struggling through some friend issues, a lot of the storylines in She-Ra were really important. So I just love that that was such a personal connection that they had with Dungeons and Dragons, how it informed their creative output on She-Ra and then how much that touched me and my daughter and her life. Would never have experienced it that way beyond just uh, having this wonderful interview with them. Rufus Hound is another really great example. One of the essays in here, just how much he was a performer. He had, you know, always wanted to play D&D similar to how we've expressed it. Like, oh yeah, this was always a thing. And he could just never crack the nut. And then when it happened during the pandemic, it ended up being really, really important for him as far as a life changing experience. So that essay is in there. And, uh, there are so many just moments like that throughout the entire uh, thing that just I was just always amazed at how people have spent, you know, sometimes four decades with the same group, with the same story, with the same campaign, like Robert Wardaw has done in his group in Canada. So that was really just amazing to check in with with him and the, and, and his players and how that story came about and kind of wide eyed amazement. So many times as we've talked to people, right, Shelly? I mean, there's just so many times we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this story. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm so glad we get to tell it and then now tell it through this book. And then as far as a white whale, I think Stephen Colbert would be fantastic to chat with because of his love of D&D and fantasy fandoms in general. And, you know, such a hilarious person in his own right. I would love to chat with him about his story and his experiences and as well comment on how wonderful he did at performing one of our other favorite guests, John Darnielle's song on his late show. I would love to just be given some props for being able to hop around and play with the mountain goats like that. Also Cory Booker. I would really love to talk to Cory Booker. He's Senator from New Jersey who has said he's a D and D fan. Uh, it doesn't say it too often, but every once in a while I'm like, man, I want to talk to more 
we often say that people are better people because they play Dungeons and Dragons, because they know about cooperation, they know about empathy and how to be better leaders and communicators. So I think more people in the higher echelons of government should play Dungeons and Dragons potentially yes. together. Anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Send them some free books. You know, I'm sure uh, Joe and his cabinet have some free time to kill, right? Really quick here at the end, I'd love to hear if you have any words of encouragement for people out there who are running games. And then if you want to just tell people where they can find you online, uh, if they want to follow you and, and uh, chat and say hello. Words of wisdom. If I can do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> I think if you've ever been curious about playing D&D, you should play D&D. For all you dungeon masters out there, you're doing the Lord's work, and we literally couldn't be playing without you. So remember that. Taylor's work. Taylor's work. Remember that when you're feeling bad and you're going to bed with headaches because you worked so hard to give people a good time. But just don't worry about rules. Don't worry about knowing everything. Just go out there. And if it's not fun for you, you don't have to do it. But hopefully it is going to be fun for you. That's the number one rule. And even people in R&D have said that. Number one rule is have fun. So go forth and conquer. I definitely second that. And I think that's been a big part of you and me, Shelly, our journey with Dungeons and Dragons and Dragon Talk. And this book, Welcome to Dragon Talk, really just shows like we have constantly been trying to lift people up and realize that you can do yeah. it. You can do anything creative, D&D can inform that, or you can get into D&D and use D&D in a way that lifts up the people around you. And I think that's one of the most amazing parts about this community is that we are all welcoming. We all want more people to enjoy this game because, hey, we want to play as often as we can. And the more people that are out there playing it, that means the more chances and more different styles and more characters and interesting things that we can roll on a D100 table to uh, play together. Agreed. To wrap it up, yeah, Shelly, where can people find you? Greg, where can people find you? Uh, any other projects you're working on that you want to plug here? You can find me on uh, Twitter or Instagram at Shelly Moo. And you can find me on my website at ShellyMazanoble.com. Perfect. I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. And I got too many side project to list, but I'm working on a short film called Ex-Husband that should be out in... Uh, Festivals, hopefully in the next, uh, you know, first part of 2023, fingers crossed, it gets accepted into all those, but uh, you can follow that along on the, uh, Twitter and Instagram called Ex-Husband Film. I also run a, a Star Trek podcast, which we kind of uh, laughed about a little bit. It's called Re-Engage. It is uh, looking back at the episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, one episode at a time, and revisiting it with uh, elder Gen X eyes from the guise of what we were like when we were kids watching it for the first time. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about all that fun stuff. Follow me on Twitter to get a lot of those updates on my various other things going on. But of course... Go to D&D &D Beyond and play lots of fun D&D &D and make as many characters as you can. I love it. Okay, thank you both so much for joining me. It's been thank a blast. You. I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. I know you have. You have to run off, Shelly. But yeah, thanks a ton and I and, uh, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great holiday season and I'm really looking forward to the book. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Hopefully too. people can buy it as a gift to their D&D &D curious friends and hopefully our tone and humor will get more people into playing Dungeons and Dragons. I know what everybody I know is getting for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's perfect. I should start writing more stuff so I can give it away. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, yep. that's a good Gotta idea. Gotta increase those sales numbers somehow. Right? Gotta get those royalties. <laughs> 
Thanks thank so much, Terry. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to How Not to DM. It was a ton of fun to chat with Greg and Shelly. I know you all had fun too. And it was really fun to be on the show this last spring with Shelly and talk about DMing, running games, and really uh, make some good friends with these two. So thanks so much for the invite on your show, Shelly. I hope that you enjoyed being on How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next week's guest, DM Neil, AKA Joke Maniac Online of Dungeon Master's Block, one of the longest running and most successful D&D discussion podcasts. So, well, I'll do the general answer that I think yeah, is yeah. the funniest answer, and then I'll give you a real answer. Um, the best player is someone who's actually DM'd before. We'll just leave it. <laughs> hey, touche. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll leave it right there, and that is probably the best umbrella statement that I could possibly make, um, just because your perspective on the whole situation of the table is increased a thousandfold. Um, as soon as you're on the other side of the screen. Uh, so that's probably that's probably number one. I think I think the best player for my table is probably someone that's adaptable. And I think that's probably gonna be true of almost any table. To hear more about Neil's ideal player, his fun experiences playing sneak peeks of new D&D games as an insider, his path onto DM's block, and more, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and to share it with friends and family who play TTRPGs as well. New reviews will be read on the end of each episode as a thank you. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. And one last plug here for Two Hot One Shot. If you haven't already, please go check it out on Kickstarter. It would mean a ton to me if you would just look at it and share it with your friends and family, even if you don't have the budget right now to put any money towards it. But if you're planning a holiday one-shot this year, I strongly suggest that you consider this. It's a ton of fun. It creates really funny content to share with your friends, with your family, with the internet. And it was just a ton of fun making it and playtesting it. And I know you'll have a lot of fun if you try it out too. That's the plug. The last few thank yous here. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat. And the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by my friend Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.